Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red, joined by Nizar Hassan, as always. How's it going, Nizar? Doing great. I am super excited about this. Are you? I mean, this is our first ever midweek special. Yeah, but don't get the expectations too high. It's just an episode. With is news. there is there anything that is just an episode that we do? <laughs> come on, come on, have some goddamn self-respect. Uh, <laughs> but while, while this is an exciting thing and a new thing for us, uh, the reason for it is because uh, we we're, we're sorry, we're sorry. We promised that we would have an episode this week, yeah. and we did not. So we felt really, really bad, and so we are coming to you in the middle of the week to give you a quick update. It's not going to be like a full rundown, you know, all the week's uh, events and everything, but we did want to at least update on the most important things that everybody needs to know right now. Obviously, coronavirus, a quick update on that, but then we will quickly get into the government formation process, which is something that we've done a few times, uh, you know, talking about when the government might be formed and what all is happening in the internal politics. So we are going to be getting into that uh, a little bit later, but first off coronavirus. Okay, so we have seen a big spike in positive tests, uh, especially just over the last few days. We're recording this on Wednesday evening. uh, And so I believe this is going to drop tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, If you exclude Monday, which is a low reporting day every week because of the weekend, the last five days, have been record-breaking, over 700 new cases uh, each day other than Monday. Sunday saw 1,006 new cases, and today, the day that we're recording, saw 940 total new cases. And just as always, the vast majority of these are local transmissions, not people coming in from outside, not uh, you know arriving at the airport or anything like that. Uh, 923 of those 940 cases today were local. Um, So it looks kind of like our new daily level is inching up towards 1,000. And and, and this brings the level of active cases to just under 18,000. Now, that's a big increase on just a week ago when it was 16,000. And it's double what it was a month ago, which was 9,000. So we've doubled the active number of cases in the space of a month. And if you go back two months ago, it, it falls even further to just, you know, 1.6 thousand, something like that. So we really have seen uh, a big uh, a big spike and a continued spike here. And the, the toll from this is starting to become clear. We are seeing more numbers of deaths per day. Friday saw 18 deaths reported. That was a record. We, we have 328 deaths total uh, so far during the pandemic in Lebanon. Right now, 126 people are in critical condition, and this could begin to stress hospital capacity, right? Uh, Firas Aviad, who has been one of the main sources of information from the government on this, uh, he's the head of the Beirut Governmental Hospital, which is the the biggest, I believe, governmental hospital in Lebanon. Uh, Firas said on Friday that any sharp rise in the number of cases can easily overwhelm our stretched hospital capacity. He went on to say that the main bottleneck in expanding our capacity remains the healthcare workforce itself, not machines or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Abiyad said this, ventilators can be bought, healthcare workers cannot, which really drives the point home. And it triumphs. <laughs> which is always a good thing. <laughs> uh <laughs> That moment of levity aside, though, uh, the authorities probably should be listening to the scientific community on this, right? And they have a scientific community at the Ministry of Public Health that recommended a total lockdown. Is that going to happen? 
Probably not. It seems as though that's not happening. The uh, the head of the Public Health Committee in Parliament, Asim Araji, future movement MP from Sahle, he said, uh, I believe this was today on Wednesday, that a lockdown was not being considered at this point. And he went on to say, I think we've lost control of the coronavirus, which is not something you want a fucking MP to say. And he also said that we're going towards herd immunity, by the way. Yeah, that is not a good sign, right? Yeah, I haven't heard of any place where that really worked. And uh, it's been a real disaster in a couple of places like the UK, as an example. And they had to switch back to the more you know mainstream measures. So I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I'm not sure where we're going with this. Because if you infect like 60% of the Lebanese population, and then, you know, we don't have the hospitals or the healthcare workforce for it, then we're screwed. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. All right. Well, that fun topic aside, everybody is talking about cabinet formation because once again, you know, Lebanon does not have a government. Uh, quickly, some numbers, right? We haven't done we haven't done numbers in a while on this podcast. <laughs> As of Thursday, when uh, some of you will probably be listening to this, it has been 45 days without a government and has been 24 days since Mustafa Adib was designated to form one. Uh, so it's actually pretty early you know we've seen cabinet formation processes that stretch out for 300 plus days before and in fact since 2005 you know if they formed a government right now it would be i think almost record breaking <laughs> it, would, it would be very very fast I, I think we're pretty close to the senora government formation uh back in 2008 which i believe took 47 days so but in, in, in a certain sense uh, we're way ahead of the game yeah, but this is like the most, you know, expe- exceptional and pressing moment in all of these years. So, you know. Right, right, right. Like if, if you be... look at recent history, oh, way ahead of the game in terms of government formation. But if you look at, say, Macron's proposal, then, you know, Lebanon is way, way late. Government was supposed to be formed by the 15th and there are other deadlines lo- looming very, very quickly. And then if you actually look at what's going on on the ground, what you know, which, which of these views is, is true? Obviously, the latter one, uh, you know, the government should be formed as quickly as possible. It needs to be formed as quickly as possible. But something is holding that up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you remember the first week or so, or the day that uh, Adib was uh, nominated, we were like, oh, that's impressive. That's, they seem to be coming together, maybe a government quickly. I mean, yeah. we had, we had you know, conflicting uh, thoughts about whether a government would be formed quickly in reality or not. But there was this energy. But then a major obstacle to the formation was Hezbollah and Amal's insistence on the finance ministry. And this is not something they deny. This is not like a a theory advanced by March 14 forces, if uh, they exist anyway. It's basically the fact that everyone acknowledges and they're quite proud of it. Like, we're not uh, letting go of the finance ministry. And if you look at the previous governments, which we were doing just before recording, right, it's been two or three cabinets where the finance ministry goes to a Shiite person. Right, and because the, the current formulation came in with, with the government of Tamam Salem in 2014, right? Before then, Sunnis had held it for quite a while. Yeah, so uh, it's um, it's been a while that the person who holds it uh, is Shiite, and also Hezbollah and Amal now are saying uh, we want it for a Shiite person or for the Shiite sect rather than us, you know, nominating a partisan or someone who represents the political party. But it's known to everyone that it's basically Birri who wants to nominate someone. He's the one that is really uh, holding on to this ministry. 
But in the way they made the argument is is more sectarian than anything. They've been talking about you know the rights of the Shiite uh, sect in Lebanon and how there's an international conspiracy against the Shiites. And uh, when the sanctions came on, because you know we had also in the last couple of weeks we had sanctions from the United States against two major kind of political figures in Lebanon, Ali Hassan Khalil, former finance minister and a major figure in Amal movement, Berri's movement. And uh, Yusuf Finianos, who is uh, not as major, of a not figure. major, but you know, he's he, he's <laughs> but but, uh, but still, he was to... he was a big minister and everything. He's with the Marada movement, and he had know. a major, like uh, in my opinion, like a major ministry, which is the public works, because you absolutely know, this ministry a lot depends on this ministry in terms of investments and roads and and contracts, major contracts, right. etc. And he's part of the Marada movement, of course, of Suleiman Frangiyi, which is Hezbollah's allies. And the sanctions came because these people were Hezbollah's allies. I mean, it mentioned corruption and all of that, but it was clear that the main charge is being close to Hezbollah and making doing favors to Hezbollah. Um, so Amal and Hezbollah insisted more and more on this finance ministry uh, with this pressure from the US, and they're trying to portray it as like a kind of international conspiracy. On the other hand, uh, Adib, the PM designate, and uh, Hariri, and the former prime ministers, and other blocks, Christian blocks, etc., are looking at this and saying there's no, you know, reason for uh, the finance ministry to be always in the hands of the Shiite sect, and there should be rotation, which is kind of a custom that they have created after Ta'if, where the different political, uh, the different sects in Lebanon kind of rotate the ministries around uh, among them, you know, like uh, you wouldn't have the same ministry being held by the same sect for more than, you know, a number of years. It's not very clear because it's not rigid and it changes, but, you know, there's this concept of rotation that everyone has been talking about. So this is what Right, but like rotation happens sort of in a slow and sort of piecemeal way. And, and also it's never really resolved anything rotating the ministries has never meant that like oh suddenly everything is fine and we have good ministers now no definitely not like the whole sectarians like uh, power sharing system it has brought us very little uh, actual uh, effectiveness or efficiency right and then so in a certain sense this is seems to me kind of like a sideshow bizarrely yeah yeah We, we don't really know and i think this is a point that you know that we just keep ha- have to keep making. We don't really know what's happening behind the scenes. We don't know what the real negotiations are about. And uh, we don't know when they agree on something. We don't really know what the thing is. We only know, we see what's on the surface because the journalism in Lebanon is pretty weak. And, you know, most yeah. big journalists are connected to political parties or to the banks mm-hmm. or to whoever. And they basically are more or less mouthpieces saying, you know, political sources said this or that, but that's as far as they go in terms of investigating the political dynamics. Um, so we're stuck with the, this, you know, shallow kind of news uh, about politics. Anyway, Adib and uh, the former prime ministers are saying, no, this doesn't work. But then Hariri, who is a major figure in the former prime ministers, um, goes out with a different point of view and like uh, proposes like an initiative more or less. But we'll talk about that in a second. But actually, one interesting thing that happened is that Michel Aoun, the president, uh, moved in and kind of established his own poll in this discussion, saying, you know, uh, doing first a press conference that was live and with questions, which is not something we're used to from this president, especially with uh, what is said about, you know, his uh, deteriorating health, etc. But uh, he did that and he uh, read a statement, you know, kind of condemning both sides, you know, saying at the same time, making a clear 
you know, serving a clear blow to Amal Hezbollah, maybe the bigger blow, saying that, you know, there's nothing in the constitution that says uh, one specific ministry should go to a specific sect. You know, there's there, this is not a constitutional principle. So he's he's uh, arguing against Hez, like the Hezbollah and the Amal argument, which is that this is inspired by the constitution. You know, this is to protect the Well, it depends sects. on what you consider to be like, constitutional right is it just the text of the constitution or does it also include like the national pact if you know all of these other things because nabi Birri, for instance bases his claim uh on the finance ministry or the shiite claim on the finance ministry on the story that this actually came out of ta'if but somehow it wasn't enacted you know for 20 odd years or whatever yeah, I mean, uh, there are different point of views on in terms of how detailed the Ta'if content was and whether you can actually make such conclusions, such, you know, major assumptions like the finance ministry should be held by, by Shiites. Such... Which, I mean, if it isn't written anywhere and people don't agree on it, obviously you can't really cite it as a constitutional principle, but yeah. I... Yeah. Anyway, but Aoun uh, basically served this blow to Hezbollah and Amal. At the same time, he said Adib hasn't been listening to the parliamentary blocks. He hasn't been, uh, you know, taking into account their opinions and that he should be, do like make a bigger effort, you know, to take them more seriously and to reach solutions for the, road, the roadblocks that exist. So it seems that I'm saying that Adib hasn't been really keen on talking to, you know, Basil and Hamad Rad and these people and has been more focused on, you know, finding a way out with Aoun and naming a bunch of uh, people that are approved by the parties, but not like, you know, not engaged and not engaging in a serious discussion with them. Maybe Adib, if Adib is doing this, I doubt it. But if Adib is doing this, uh, as clearly as Aoun is saying, it's probably because, you know, he knows how difficult and uh, exhausting it will be to go with, sit with each of these Suama and discuss everything that they want. Because, you know, they want a lot of stuff. We've seen this in the previous government. Everyone has a think, a share that they should have in the cabinet. The last cabinet, we also had kind of a conflict between Hezbollah and, and Aoun, if you remember, over whether the consultative gathering should have a ministry or not. And Hezbollah was saying, yes, uh, pushing Aoun towards, you know, accepting to add ministers so that they can have this cabinet, uh, this, this ministry. And in line with what he's been talking about recently uh, in terms of secularizing or establishing a civil state which is you know a Lebanese term that doesn't mean anything except soft secularism you know just ending some uh, like removing some aspects of uh, confessionalism from this political system Aoun said that uh, his aspiration would be to eliminate to abolish the sectarian quotas within the sovereign ministries so-called sovereign ministries which are depends how, who you ask four to five ministries interior defense finance and foreign ministry and you always argue that the justice ministry I, is actually more important. Yeah, right? yeah. I think the justice ministry definitely should be included. But you typically hear uh, it's just those four ministries that are considered sovereign, which is really bizarre because there is a vast power differential between the finance minister, say, on the one hand, and the defense minister on the other hand. Yeah. and um, but Or still, the foreign minister. Yeah. Yeah. But still, the, the this custom has been respected for a while, it seems, you know. One Sunni, one Shiite, one Maronite, and one Orthodox. Right. These are the sovereign ministry for a while. It's been this, the kind of sectarian affiliations of sovereign ministers for a while. And Aoun is saying, let's abolish sectarian quotas within these ministries, which is, you know, uh, interesting because these are the ministries that usually uh, most of 
political parties fight on and you know they turn it into a sectarian thing and you know these are the most you know hated kind of seats in the in the cabinet but it's it's not like this proposal is going anywhere i mean it's clear that no one gives a shit about secularizing the state at this point except uh, very few people including Aoun, who might be doing this out of you know kind of you know um stepping a bit closer to the anti-establishment movement and saying you know we can step away from secularism yeah right and and Aoun and the fpm have been very very big on actually promoting sectarianization and claiming that article 95 of the constitution which seeks to abolish confessionalism in the state uh, doesn't fully apply yet. And and they've used this, you know, as, as an excuse to hold up hiring of civil servants when not enough of them in, in their minds were Christian, even low level people. So you have, you know, you always hear about uh, the Lebanese state over employing people, right? And that's true, probably in, in a certain way of looking at it. But also, there are a lot of really important uh, offices within the state and the bureaucracy that are actually they don't have enough personnel right now or enough trained personnel right now because politicians disagree over just the confessional, their their confessions. They're, they're the wrong faith. They were born into the wrong sex. So no, you can't be an air traffic controller, for instance. And also, it means that bad people and incompetent people are brought into the administration just because they represent this or that politician, which is what happened with, you know, Badri Dahir, the famous case about the port and the other people in the port, not only Badri Dahir, people who really seem to be completely, you know, unskilled in what they do. They are bad managers and they can lead to catastrophes such as the Beirut explosion with their incompetence and their negligence. And it's a direct result of politicians agreeing on the names of people because they are distributing to according to sects so it's a really criminal system it's not only like you know not the best way of 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 running a democracy it's also it can lead to very bad results in my opinion and and we've seen that in almost every sector in the country yeah well we did get some uh, some big news yesterday though and that was hariri the former prime minister who resigned who was basically forced to resign by the uprising that happened last October. Uh, he came out. He is still very, very powerful. Uh, and uh, what what he says counts. He is still the leader of the largest Sunni political movement in the country. And, and he came out and he said that, uh, no, it's okay if the Shiites keep the post of finance ministry. As long as it's an independent Shiite, that's fine, you know, not necessarily, not somebody who reports directly to Nabi Berri or Hassan Nasrallah, but an independent person. And he also made clear, though, that I'm doing this because this needs to be done. We we have to act right now and get something done and get a cabinet in place. I am not saying that this should become uh, a precedent that, you know, the Shiites always control this ministry. Exactly. He he said this was a one-time thing. Yeah. Like, he literally said that because he's very keen on not turning this into a permanent custom. Or, you know, but everybody knows if you do it once, it sort of is like, there, there's Especially a certain... if you do it uh, at the most, you know, <laughs> sensitive moment. It's kind of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of permanent in a way. Um, but yeah, Hariri was, um, you know, as usual, this is his political strategy. And sometimes I think Hariri is actually the populist here. And other times I'm like... He doesn't know how to do this populism thing. Like, on one hand, he's like, I am the kind, you know, politician who really cares about national interests. Uh, on the other hand, he, for a lot of people, especially his strong base, this is cross-sectarian, not only Sunnis, uh, mm. people who are against Hezbollah 
and believe that Hezbollah is, you know, the big threat in the country and the obstacle to change, etc., aren't happy at all with Hariri's kind of soft approach towards Hezbollah. At the same time, uh, you know, MBS in Saudi Arabia isn't happy, Trump isn't happy, etc. So it's like he's always been in this position where he's like, I know how to deal with my, you know, Lebanese fellows, uh, even if they have, you know, what Hezbollah has. Uh, although I acknowledge that they are a threat to this nation and everything, I have to deal with them. And when we say that, when he says that, he means, you know, he has to form cabinets with them. That's what he does usually, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you think, yeah. if you look at his record, it's basically forming cabinets with Hezbollah and failing to do anything. I mean, to be very honest about, you know, this man hasn't achieved anything uh, in his, you know, years in power. He didn't even have a clear project. It was always this national unity figure. And he's, this is what kind of he's, he's doing again. Although he was very clear uh, that he's doing this because Amal and Hezbollah are obstructing this and he's throwing the ball in their court and saying, if you really care about forming the cabinet and saving the country now, then you will accept who Adib nominates as a Shiite independent minister for fin- of finance. And you uh, wouldn't have any worries about that if you if he's Shiite because that's your main argument. So Harir also is trying to make this more and more about the sectarian affiliation and not the political uh, influence or the political affiliation of the minister. Which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, either in like the larger sense or even in like that smaller sense of this these specific negotiations. I, I think I, I feel as though we're just reading the tea leaves here right now as far as this goes. When somebody when one of these politicians makes a public statement like this, we we have no idea what they're talking about behind closed doors. We have no idea the full implications of that, of whatever signals they're sending. Well, I shouldn't say we have no idea, but we we don't know the full story. I I would say that. Yeah. And so I'm I I'm reticent to come out and say it really anything about Hariri's move here because I I feel like there's just more to it. There's more to the story. There's more to the story about Amal and Hezbollah insisting uh, on keeping the finance ministry. And I don't know what that is yet. Yeah, and it seemed during the last week uh, or two weeks uh, that Fuad Sanura actually had a big role in this because Fuad Sanura is part of the former PMs and he's an independent figure from Hariri when it comes to being a former prime minister, although he was a, a Hariri-backed guy, future movement MP, etc. Um, Fuad Sanura is more hardline against Hezbollah than Hariri, that's kind of known. But what's interesting is that he's been pushing Hariri are to, uh, to reject the, the, the condition by Amal and Hezbollah. And uh, reports like reports and media said that uh, he was actually trying to get the Sunni establishment and the religious establishment against Hariri because he knew that Hariri would make this compromise. And this raises a question that we should definitely focus on in future episodes, which is what is the relevance of the finance ministry in the coming period? Why is it so fucking important that Amal Hezbollah would take all this blame from almost everyone, including the Mm. president, for obstructing a government uh, for, you see? So why is it so central? How does it relate to, you know, everything from sanctions to money coming in to a new like tax systems that might be established, new, you know, everything that passes through the finance ministry, which is basically every important policy in the government. So, I mean, we, we have to talk about this in more depth later, but it's, it's 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 interesting that uh, that Senora, who used to be a finance minister as well, and uh, knows a lot about this, you know, this field in, in governance. He's he, This is why he came to, to, to politics in the first place. Rafi Harir brought him for this purpose, which right. is to do finance. So he probably knows more than anyone. And he was there at the finance ministry for so long. 
Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, he knows it inside and out. Uh, he still has people there, I am sure. He knows everything that goes on. Yeah. So this is what Hariri suggested. Um, you know, keep this ministry, not keep this ministry, name, nominate a Shiite finance minister, and then uh, let's form this cabinet. And um, the reactions have been quite mixed, but mostly not very positive. I mean, France was the only one who was very positive, saying, you know, this is a courageous move, encouraging other politicians to follow suit and make the formation easier. Apart from France, and this move definitely was coordinated with Macron and every little like political source quoted by everyone is saying, you know, this was an agreement between Macron and Hariri and Hariri spit it out mm, in the statement. Yeah. So France, it's normal that France kind of endorses this. Uh, when it comes to the local political actors, FPM acknowledged that this kind of facilitates things, but, you know, opposed Hariri's language and the fact that he says the prime minister should be the one who names the ministers. It's about language and how you phrase these things, right? Because when you're talking about jurisdiction and who has the legitimacy to name who, uh, Hariri gave the, the you know the the upper hand to the prime minister, saying that he's the one who's forming the cabinet. So I will help him find Shiite finance minister to nominate. This is what Hariri said in his statement. So they thought it was arrogant. Obviously, there, there isn't any statement from Hezbollah and Amal, but. What seems to to be the, the case, and uh, from uh, from the leaks uh, and political sources and everything, is that they're not happy with it, and they will not uh, change their kind of their direction. They want to name the ministers. So Amal and Hezbollah are not insisting only on the finance ministry being held by a Shiite. They're saying we want to name all Shiite ministers in the cabinet. Um, this is a major condition as well, because in many cases we saw that in the past. Political parties sometimes name people from outside of their sect as part of this seat sharing thing. Right, right. right. It's that, sort of like this token to show, oh, it's not all about, you know, what religion you are. Yeah, but it's increasingly being sectarianized. And it's interesting to look at, you know, why sectarianism is kind of flourishing in politics today uh, more than in the previous years. Yeah, definitely. We've seen a spike in sectarianism, especially over the past couple of weeks. It's just, it's shocking. You know, yeah, and level. all these religious yeah. institutions coming, uh, like uh, making these statements about cabinet formation and finance ministry, and I don't know what. It's just you know, yeah. it's it's a bit shameful to be honest. And one more thing about that, which is that the former PMs distanced themselves from Hariri's proposal, and they released a statement saying uh, it was a personal initiative. It doesn't you know represent us necessarily, right? And we don't have to commit to this proposal. So uh, they said in light of the insistence on uh, the finance ministry being held by a Shiite, we don't see that we are obliged to be part of Hariri's compromisers. Which is very interesting to come from Makati, for instance, who, you know, you talk to future people and they say, oh, he's cast all of these allegations out there about how he's super close to the Syrians, March 8th, all of these things. And yet this time, He's actually further on the March 14th side, it seems, than Hariri himself. Yeah, which is interesting why Mikhati is would be going with this hardline stance, more or less, in the presence of, you know, more moderate people like Salam. It's only Senora who is, you know, the, the, the hardliner among the former PMs. So Mikhati is kind of letting Senora lead this in a way, which is very interesting to me. And I wish we had all the facts about what what brings Mikhati so close to these people yeah, and yeah. why he's, you know, so reliant <laughs> and committed to them. 
I, I, I just want to note very quickly, though, that when we mention the former prime ministers, it's not all the former prime ministers. Salim Hoss is, uh, you know, he, he's uh, old, uh, but he is a former prime minister. He is still alive. He, he is not of the same ideological persuasion of any of the other former prime yeah. ministers, I don't think. Okay, so uh, I think there's only one question left, and that is, does this breakthrough lead to a cabinet in, in a couple of days? Are is is this episode going to be obsolete before Susan edits it? <laughs> I don't think so because Susan is so fast. Ah, um, <laughs> yes, um, brownie points. And um, <laughs> uh, and also, like it's uh, it doesn't seem to be a very positive political environment. It seems that Hariri threw this ball to the court and he's waiting for a response. Uh, it, it doesn't look like you know. Oh, it's a moment of consensus. So we'll see about that. It's just. You know, just the final note from my side, it's been really tiring to be hearing all the sectarian bullshit again. And it's making everyone scared to, to death because, like, everyone is, 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 is imagining a new civil war soon. Although it doesn't make sense to some people in terms of the balance of power or the, you know, the military capacity, etc. But there seems to be a preparation for civil conflict. And it seems that Hezbollah's military arsenal will be at the heart of this, uh, similar to what, the, what was the case in the 70s, which was uh, the Palestinian faction's military uh, arsenal and military presence in Lebanon. Um, and, they, you know, some people like the LF, uh, people who are breaking away maybe from the FPM and, you know, people from uh, from Hariri and Jumblat's bases are saying, you know, we're fed up with the situation where we feel that we are governed by Hezbollah. So it doesn't matter if you agree with this, Perspective. I think this is a reductionist perspective on Lebanese politics to blame everything on Hezbollah and say that all the governments are puppets of Hezbollah. Yeah, yeah. This is not. This is not the case. We know that, but we also know that this is a central issue. And if Hezbollah keeps dismissing any question about the, the military capacity and saying, you know, it, you know, questioning this uh, this uh, military power means that you are closer to the Zionists than to uh, to uh, our cause, etc., is is quite bullshit, and it's leading to scary places, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I I would certainly agree with all of that, but I would also say that the re there's a certain reason, right, why Hezbollah's weapons have suddenly become such a big issue and are being talked about and being pushed by a lot of people when the country is literally falling apart. You know, part of the city was just destroyed last month. The, the banking sector has essentially collapsed for all intents and purposes in the midst of all of this huge swaths of wealth being wiped out, people being thrust into poverty, part of the city being destroyed. What's the most important thing? All of a sudden, is this? No, I I agree with, you know, yes, this is something that needs to be resolved, obviously. But come on, priorities. <laughs> Let, let's fix things right now first. Yeah, but they are both benefiting from this. The LF and people who are under Hezbollah and Hezbollah, they're both benefiting from this because they're, this is the counter-revolution we were talking about, if you remember. This is this is exactly the counter-revolution, dividing people again based on dividing people again based on uh, sectarian divisions and based on the issues that are you know more geopolitical and erasing the real conflicts that are happening in society, which is that we have a bunch of bastard oligarchs who are ruling us, smuggling their money out, and you know making us poorer. And now soon they will allegedly. start, you know, allegedly. And then soon they will start lifting off subsidies and we will be like five times poorer. But, you know, who gives a shit about us? 
So like this is the real <laughs> conflict that's happening. You know, it's a class conflict, <laughs> and they're yeah. using, they're hiding yeah. all of this with yeah. their, uh, police yeah. televisions. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time that we have uh, for this mini surprise episode midweek. We 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 are so sorry for uh, coming to you late this week. We 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 hope to do better. Uh, unfortunately, both of us are quite busy in in our other endeavors over over the past couple of weeks, and that's why we haven't been able to come to you guys. We're we're really sorry, but we, there are exciting things happening. I'm I'm involved in the project at Laurent Lejour to open up an English language news service, and so we are super hard at work right now getting everything together and making sure that it's going to be, you know, a, a legitimate quality news source about Lebanon. I'm really excited because like you seem to be building a really cool team of journalists and, you know, yeah. some people with like good previous work, but also like critical uh, uh, mindsets. And I'm excited to see what comes out of this. Well, mid-October, mid-October. All right, then we'll be back very soon. We're not going to do the same mistake twice, but we'll be back very soon. <laughs> no promises, <laughs> but yes, we, we we are planning to do an episode this weekend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So we will be back soon with another episode. Uh, until then, I'm Nizar Hassan. I'm Benjamin Red, And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. podcast is brought to you by myself Nizar Hassan Benjamin Red produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson and the music is by Omar Elfil